we focus a lot on the health and safety thing, but I think the other thing the industry gets, so just we, we can probably get into this this topic too later on, but the, um, the environmental aspect of it. So many of the guys that work in our business, guys and women who work in our business are, you know, lovers of the outdoors, right? And I think there's been a huge push over the last 20 years as well, and probably going back further than that to really, um, you know, do right by the, the areas and the environments that they work in. And I think that gets totally underappreciated. Oil and gas today is more than exploration and production. It is more than the feet drilled or the hours of continuous pumping. The oil field is a group of people, companies, technologies, and institutions working towards providing the world with safe, affordable energy that is sustainable for the billions of people that depend on the success of the industry. The Oil Field 360 podcast is a 360 degree deep dive into the leaders of the industry who will provide listeners with a firsthand account of what it takes to build, maintain, and lead the energy business into the future. The Oil Field 360 podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, one of the largest and most experienced energy investment banking firms in the industry offering M&A advisory, capital markets execution, and investment research. For more information, please visit SimmonsPSC.com. Lockton Global Energy and Marine, uncommonly different. Lockton is the world's largest privately owned insurance broker and risk finance advisor. Lockton's global energy expertise is centered in Houston and represents the largest concentration of energy specialists, clients, and experiential knowledge in the upstream, midstream, and downstream segments of the oil and gas industry. Visit LockedIn.com for more information. Tomahawk Safety, a leading manufacturer of safety gloves ergonomically designed for superior fit, offering best-in-class protection and helping you combat the industry's toughest jobs. Tomahawk is also supporting our frontline healthcare workers by offering isolation gowns, gloves, masks, and other critical medical PPE. For more information, please visit TomahawkSafety.com. Range Valuation Services. Range is the only oil and gas-focused valuation and appraisal firm in the financial services industry. Range specializes in appraising and valuing oil field equipment, machinery, inventory, and property, and customarily works directly with clients, lenders, investment bankers, insurers, and private equity and debt sponsors. For more information, please visit rangevaluationservices.com. Welcome back to the Oilfill 360 podcast. We are coming live from the Fletcher Azul Tequila Podcast Studio in Houston, Texas. I am joined, as always, by the co-host extraordinaire, Mr. David DeRote. How are you, sir? Doing well. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. A lot going on. This is uh, kind of my favorite week of the year. It's happening in November, but typically it happens in April. It's Master's Week. I know. Can you believe that? I would. I'm really upset that I'm not there. I am too, honestly. I'm surprised we hadn't figured out a way to get there. Oh, listen, I've I've called, like awkwardly called my friends that I know are going to be there and made not even slight references to why can't you take me there? Like, I, I'm not even pretending that I don't want to be there. Yeah. You know, you, have you, you know, you can shop online. By the time this comes out, it'll be a week later, but you can, uh, you can 
they're allowing you to go on and shop in the masters. Um, really? They've never allowed that before. No, never. You've never been able to do it online. So if you've ever been to the masters, people listening to this, the funny part about the masters is you get in there, you're, they're serving you $2 beers. Uh, it is a free, it's like supermarket sweep with, you know, vests and hats and shirts and it's all, you know, listed one through 12 or one through hundred, whatever the number system is. And you're like, I want a large number two. And they don't ever take it out of the plastic. So you don't ever see how much it is. And they just throw it in a bag because there's somebody behind you. So you're kind of hustling through this until you get to the end. And then you see your bill. You're like, oh, my God, do I really need 15 shirts or hats? Yeah. So, well, I did. I did. I uh, was texting with Aaron the other day because he's down there with uh, Aaron Marquez. Yeah. Uh, friend of the program. Abraham Answer, who's, who's actually playing. And said, "Hey man, this is uh, my uncle's not there, and this is a this is a first year. I, I definitely want to get a, a Masters 2020 hat. You pick me one up." He said, "Yeah, I'll get you a couple. How many you want?" So well, so that he asked me the same thing, and I I didn't give as good an answer as you. I said, "I want everything." Yeah, and, and I know I, he didn't text me back. <laughs> are, they, are they let fans? Uh, no, no fans. This just, year. Okay, so family only, and uh, it's yeah, so. Which will be really cool to watch. Not that not that I'm the biggest golfer, as people know, but uh, it's fun to watch. So let's stop talking about well, golf. Well, listen, I, I, we could go on this. Our guest that you heard a voice pop in there just a second ago, and uh, we always – I forgot to do during our pre-show warm-up to tell you that David and I talk a little bit before we get going. So he's probably like, why'd they invite me here? Yeah. <laughs> They're talking about the Masters. But the, the voice you just heard is Adam Anderson. He is the Chief Executive Officer of InnoVex. Um, Adam, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, are you have you ever done a podcast before? I've done one before, far less formal, but I did a James West with Evercore host of the podcast. Oh, I James did that a year, year yeah. or so ago. Well, we're way better than him, and I like James. <laughs> he's a cool dude, actually. But uh, this show, he's uh, he puts out a daily podcast, or at least Some, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Quite yeah often. But y'all probably have a much bigger, uh, a much more sophisticated studio than James's. Well, well, it's all good stuff. James is a good guy. He is a good guy. He's funny. We're we're supportive of anybody putting out a good positive message about the energy industry. Correct. Well, I appreciate y'all having me on. Thank you for coming on. And really, our timing is excellent. This is every once in a while we get to break news, and uh, we we view ourselves as the the news network of oil and gas. So today, you it is what is today? Today is the twelfth of November. Yeah. Uh, just give us a quick breakdown on what happened earlier this week for us, if you don't mind. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, the timing is is excellent. I'd like to uh, we we are excited to announce that um, on Friday last week we signed a definitive agreement to acquire Rubicon Oilfield International. We I guess did the official press release on Tuesday this week, so the news just hit the um, hit the public. But we're we're really excited about. It. I think both and both companies have been really successful over the years. Innovex has tended to be a lot more successful in the U.S. base and Rubicon, um, although they have a strong presence and have done well in the U.S., they've got a really compelling international footprint. Um, and given everything the industry is going through, it's um, that's very appealing to us for a whole variety of reasons that we can get into later. But well, yeah, we're definitely going to get into all this. I just yeah. wanted to, uh, I just wanted to, to brag to the show that we are breaking news. This is David. We're getting. It's just we're either lucky. Well, let me rephrase it. We're only lucky. Yeah, we're not that smart. <laughs> no, we're not. We couldn't have timed it this well. So, um, but you know, on that note, you never you've been on one podcast before. We one of the things we like to really introduce to our audience is the person behind some of the business uh, and uh, industries that we're talking about. So, if you don't mind, kind of give us a scoop on how did you get to today 
during your career and, and how did this all start? Where did you, where'd you come from? Who are you? <laughs> Fair Give enough. I appreciate that. Um, so Houston is home, went to, went to school here, went to high school here, went to college in um, the Colorado School of Mines. Um, it came out in the late 90s, like 98, 99, when the business was, it was pretty, uh, the worst time before today that we've seen over the last, yeah, $20 yeah. barrel oil kind of stuff. So um, went to work for a small service company that did uh, deep water completions called PES. I uh, did that for a couple of years and found it really compelling. They, I really liked the culture of the organization and the culture around engineering innovation, being really responsive to customers and a kind of a small family family feel. Uh, but it became pretty obvious that if I wanted to do um, what I wanted to do with my career, I was going to have to do get a broader exposure to more things across the oil and gas industry. I didn't want to get so um, pigeonholed into one specific technology. Uh, so, so I left there and went to Baker and spent about 12 years with Baker in a whole variety of roles. And I can't, um, Baker was great, great people, great products, great brand. Uh, so I spent the bulk of my career there doing a lot of different things. And they were kind of... Um, I was very fortunate to get the opportunity to do a whole variety of different things from manage some product lines here in the U.S. Um, I spent three years in Saudi Arabia managing the business over there, came back to Houston and then did a variety of jobs. I managed Latin America for a year. I was the investor relations guy for Baker for a year. Um, so I got I got the chance to do just a ton of stuff and it was great for I mean, my, my you, learning. You started there in 02 yep. and for 12 years till 14. That is, yep. that might be the best 12-year run. <laughs> I was... In, in a Baker career. Yeah, Truly, was, you probably yeah. got to see everything, the I drilling, mean, the fracking, the sub, the onshore. Yeah, I was very fortunate. And uh, when I when I went to Saudi in like 06, I, I, I got lucky on timing on a lot of things, as you guys talked about. I think I think anybody who's been pretty successful in their career has got to acknowledge that uh, you take advantage of those opportunities when they present themselves, but you got to have a few things fall your way. And I went to Saudi at a time when that was really a focus for the company. We went through a tremendous period of growth over there. So I, I was uh, probably got more credit than I deserved for some of that. But um, that was a wonderful experience. And I came back uh, in 09 to the U.S. and was involved in the U.S. completion tool business from like 10, 11, 12 kind of time period when the Bakken was exploding. People were running like 50 frack sleeves in every well and got to be a part of that success. So I, ultimately, I um, got the chance to to be around some really great people and at really great times in the industry. Right. So that really helped kind of make that career uh, special. So Baker was a great place, but I left in 14. Uh, it, I guess it had run its course at some point. I realized that Baker was a great place, but um, we had divergent views on kind of how to, how to view the world. So they, they, they nicely asked me to do something different. So I left in 14. Uh, spent a few months kicking around the industry, uh, networking with people, thinking about what I wanted to do. And I had a very, I think my my view was I was not ready to do the entrepreneurial track. I didn't want to, I wasn't ready for a variety of reasons to to start my own gig, but I very much wanted to be part of something smaller where I could really help build and grow something. So the idea of going to a Schlumberger or Weatherford or something like that wasn't particularly compelling. Um, so I, I met the variety of different private equity groups and I met Intervale Capital, who owned a business at the time called Team Oil Tools. And so I got the opportunity in late 14 to, to lead team as the CEO. Uh, I think I started there the first working day after the OPEC, uh, the infamous OPEC meeting in uh, Thanksgiving 2014. Yes. So the first couple of years were were fairly challenging, but lean, very lean, yes, very lean. But uh, Intervale was wonderful to work with. It was a good business at the time. There was lots of opportunity. They had some good um, bones to it. Obviously, as as any business, there was opportunities for improvement. But they had been doing a good job They'd for been, a while. They had been doing a good job. That's yeah. that's a world that we play in a little bit too. So okay. I mean, these are all. I mean, that's a great brand, yeah. especially at that time frame. So that, yeah. that was a nice move for you. Yeah, so that was I was very fortunate there, and then they were Interrail was good through that time. They allowed us. We obviously had to do what we had to do to to right size the business through the downturn, uh, but at the same time, they allowed us to invest in some new technologies, new geographic expansion, um, and then we created in about two years into that. Um, Patrick Connolly actually came over to uh, 
Intervale from uh, SEF and kind of had the idea to say, hey, let's build a larger Donald Tools platform so we combine Team Oil Tools with two other sister companies, Antelope, which is a casing yeah, hardware business, sure. and Isotech, which was a kind of a management-backed startup doing inflatable packers and created Innovex in, um, I guess, late 2016. So it's been around yeah. four years and we've, I've been had See, the great pleasure of running it since then. That was a big then. run too. I mean, I, I had a friend that worked uh, at Antelope at the time and she would just, I mean, the, the excitement behind you guys yeah, during that right. whole wrap up and round up and, and branding was substantial. I mean, yeah. you guys had a lot of attention. I mean, what was that like for, from, from just, you know, building and putting those three companies together? Cause that was, yeah. that, that was a very active time for you guys. Yeah, it was, it was extremely active. We had a lot of, a lot of irons in the fire. Each of the, the businesses were still immature in different ways and trying to commercialize new products and into new geographies. Uh, so we were trying to keep what was great about each of the individual businesses while at the same time bring together things under the Innovex brand and get folks thinking like that. I think what we had going for us is most of the folks from each of the three enterprises thought about things um, similarly and approached the world similarly. Um, and I think we did, we spent the first year, I would say very much with the, the uh, Hippocratic Oath of do no harm and let each of those, inter, uh, each of those brands, businesses continue to develop. And then about a year into it, we kind of flipped the switch and went to the Innovex brand, started to um, bring together sales, operations, engineering, and all the kind of logical ways that you would, you would want to do that. And that's been tremendously um, successful. And I, I don't think any of the businesses could have been as successful on a standalone basis as we've been combined. What kind of challenges, if, if any, did you, did you encounter when you were kind of merging those businesses no. together? That's pretty, pretty straightforward. There's, there, there I tease. there's a, a whole variety of challenges. I think the, the first and foremost is the culture that each of the companies had coming into it. And then what's the culture that you want to build for the business over the long haul? Um, inherently folks, um, from any great business, they're proud of what they do. They're proud of their brand. They're proud of, proud of, um, the people around them. So as you bring those organizations together, inherently there's, you know, some decisions you have to make about what do you want your culture to be going forward? What do you want your culture not to be? Who are the key leaders going to be in the organization? So um, you have to, um, throughout that process, be, uh, do what's best for the business, even if at times, you know, it, it um, is not exactly what everybody on the team wants to do. So I think you just have to be pretty methodical about this is where we're trying to go um, and try to bring people to your vision of what you want the business to ultimately be uh, while at the same time, not leaving behind what they, what they came from, uh, but giving them something to kind of uh, identify with and how the business can be even better on a, on a going forward. Sure. Do you feel like you've got a culture inside of Innovex to where you want it to be now and, and for into the future? Are there any things, any particular areas that you're, you're keen to focus on over the next call it 12, 24 months? No, that's, that's uh, absolutely. I think yes and no is the answer to that question. I think it's always, a, um, uh, there's always more we aspire to be. Um, the way we, we define our culture and think about it is we, we, we have this uh, catchphrase, no barriers, which uh, people frequently within the company make fun of me for. It's a little bit ironic because most of everything that we build is a barrier in some way. Uh, but what it's really intended to represent is a, is a culture where people don't we tear down the barriers between ourselves and our customers and internally between the, the functions. So people really feel empowered to go take care of the customer first and foremost. Um, most of the folks on the team came from large successful companies. Baker, Weatherford team tend to be the two, two largest, uh, let's say, legacy businesses people came from. And I think each of us recognized what was great about those businesses, but at the same time realized that, hey, if we were, wanted to outcompete them, we were going to have to be a lot more nimble than them. We're going to have to be a lot more um, responsive to what the customer wants and, and maybe most importantly, be really great at identifying what are those, um, what are those emergent issues that our customers are seeing in the field 
and how can we quickly identify, okay, these are problems that they're seeing in the field or, or how the market's evolving and have a really strong engineering manufacturing support team to say, okay, yeah, we can solve that problem and let's jump on it and try to do it as quickly as possible. Um, so breaking down those barriers between the needs of our customers and ultimately developing the next, you know, great incremental innovation in the business is what we do, you, I you think, said, really well. You said something. I just kind of, I know you're a petroleum engineer. How, how close to the, to the manufacturing have you been in your career? I mean, I know obviously you've worked for manufacturing companies here, but mm -hmm. the actual have you been down in that world much? Uh, I'm probably a little bit less so on manufacturing. I, I spent probably the first uh, six, eight, ten years of my career as kind of a technical sales guy. Yeah. So I probably I think of myself as a failed design engineer as much as anything. So I, I probably spent the most time there, uh, and that's probably one of the things most of the engineers in the organization would attest to that I like to like ask them probably more questions than they would like at times and say, Hey, what have you thought about doing this? Probably doing it like you mean that. You from a commercial standpoint, or yeah, and even the product standpoint. Yeah. Hey, how do we? How do we? make this thing work a little bit better. And, and so I think we have pretty, um, pretty, uh, collaborative teams on, Hey, how do we, how do we make this product a little bit better? How do we get to market a little bit faster with something? So I would say I'm pretty close to the engineering and that's always been something near and dear to my heart. Manufacturing obviously is critical to supporting that. I'm not a, um, uh, manufacturing guy, but I think we've done, we've, we've brought into the organization, a leader of the manufacturing team is probably the most, again, the most customer oriented leader of a manufacturing organization. Um, I've ever worked with, well, so that actually, really helps I mean, make us you, successful. You mentioned a sales engineer. What uh, a lot of sales guys listen to this podcast as well. Mm -hmm. um, how how did that time as a sales engineer, customer interaction, kind of prepare you for? Because I, I, it's, it's interesting to say that you, you're talking to your engineers maybe more than they would like, but it's probably your experience dealing with customers. I would imagine. Yep. No, I think that's I, I, so. I think it's critical, and I think it's for what we do. Every business is different. In fact, I was listening to the the podcast you did with the brigade guys on my, the way out here, yeah. and obviously super impressive guys. I don't have nearly as cool of stories to tell as those guys. By the way, they wouldn't sit where you're sitting. They this is typically David and I's standard oh, operating. And they said, no, it's nice to meet you guys. We're going to sit over here. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. Well, I, I'm not going to tell them no. <laughs> I'm kind of the same way. I, I like to have the, the tactical advantage, which I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't figure that out. But, uh, you know, when, when uh, I got, you know, Bliff and Pope yeah. sitting in here, I'm, I'm okay sitting on the other Seriously, side of the ring. I mean, I'm, and, and you're not going to tell them no. No, not happening. I'm like, yes, sir. I, that's fine. I'll sit on the floor if you let me. So <laughs> I loved your part about I'm just like a goat. I just freeze up and die. That's great. <laughs> just, just hide. That's all I'm trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, let's get back but, into this. <laughs> the reason I reference that is I think it's it's obvious that what they did earlier in their careers was really formative to how they think about business and run business. And so I think to to your question, Josh. Um, yeah, thank my you time, for bringing us back my here. My time early on doing, you know, going to see customers and again, what we did in my early days of, of the PES and Baker was we would go meet with customers, ask them what their problems were, typically with kind of high-end deep water wells and help come up with custom solutions to help them solve those problems out of our kind of tools. And so that ultimately has been probably the thing that I, I, I one of the things I really, really enjoy. And I think I try to bring that to InnoVex and tend to... Um, have a team of folks who are similarly minded and um, empower the sales guys and the folks talking to the customer to feel that, hey, we don't just have to, yes, we want to sell what we got, but at the same time, the places we've been most successful is we're able to say, hey, what we have is good, uh, but if we could make some kind of incremental improvements for it, it would not only help this customer, but help um, customers across the entire basin. Right. See, it's, it's, it's great to hear. It's kind of similar to, to the brigade stories with there's certainly a focus on the technology on their side, just as there is on yours, but there's an extreme focus on their people. And um, having the benefit of working with the sheer number of folks that I get to work with, you know, in the uh, oil and gas 
industry and the various sectors where I see a lot of companies, particularly a lot of private equity sponsored businesses where there was a lot of, there was a frothy market or thought to be and folks thought they could put lipstick on the pig and flip it to somebody. And a lot of folks are having to run these businesses and, and where I see a lot of folks um, not, not paying attention or putting um, uh, resources into is their people and ultimately trying to address what the customers want and figuring out the solution from there. They're trying to get cute with financial engineering and this, that, and the other, as opposed to really addressing their, their core, their core areas of focus and, and, and probably their biggest risk is one, their people and two, their customers. And they, and, and it sounds really simple and like, well, why aren't they always focused? And I, there's certainly lip service paid to it, but but uh, that that attention and focus, you know, what we got is great, but is there anything we can do a little bit differently and and you know engender a deeper relationship with you by really giving you what you want and helping us make a better product? Yada yada. I think is is incredibly important. It's easy to talk about. It's hard to do. Um, and then and then having the people to help you ultimately drive where you want to go with the business. Because if, if you don't have the support of the folks, you're not going to get there, no matter how hard you try. And I've seen that time and time again in the little seat that I get to view the world from uh, with with all these things that go well, but more importantly, all the things that don't go so well. It's amazing what you can, can learn from that. Well, but, one uh, of the things we're doing in the pre-show with you is kind of just talking about uh, this this new venture, which we're going to get into, but it, I, I don't know if you noticed it, you may have every sentence you had was about, well, this team and this team. And, you know, to David's point, I mean, you, you are going to have to rely and you have had to rely on your team. And you mentioned that you, you let your employees feel power to go out and take care of the customer. Um, what does, what does that look like? How did your, your time over the last 18, 20 years of, you know, working with teams internationally, domestic, what does that look like to you now? So I think, uh, and, I, and I think that's absolutely right. I mean, any business of this scale, if it's going to be successful, it's not because of what the CEO does or right. the the even the the direct leadership team below me. It's really how do we set the the team, the culture, the processes in place so that our folks, the sales guys, the operations guys in the field, the the manufacturing engineering folks, and all the support teams work together efficiently. That's ultimately what um, really determines our success. And I think uh, we, myself, the the key members of the leadership team all probably recognize that in this business, especially in the U.S. land business, you you have to, your sales guys have to feel like, and the operations guys have to feel like the company has their, has the resources to deliver for their customer to be responsive to that. Um, and I think we'd all seen times in our career where it felt like the um, support groups maybe ran the company and 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 the, the sales and operations teams were more, uh, let's say subservient to that. And I think our view is that that's not the right way to run the railroad. So uh, from the get go, we said, Hey, we need to have, have what we need on the ground to support our customers in terms of inventory. That's a, obviously a major challenge for our business. Um, and, and most importantly, or maybe as importantly have be able to respond rapidly because there's always things that they need that even our customers don't understand until the last minute um, for a whole, whole host of reasons and our ability to be responsive to our customers just saying, hey, we changed our well program now or we're going to move the rig from, you know, this pad we're going to drill over here. Now we're going to go to this pad and the casing program's different and the, the frack program's different. You have to be able to take care of that customer. And um, there, if you're not able to do it, then there's somebody in this U.S. market, there's somebody right behind you ready to. Right. So, so I think that's what's critical for us is ensuring those guys know that when they go to their customer, 
the organization is going to be behind them to deliver the product and quality service that they, they need. So are y'all doing anything? You, you hear a lot of companies that are that are looking to machine learning and AI and all this kind of stuff to kind of not only help themselves better predict where they need to be, but also in some cases help their clients better think about what they need to do. Are, are y'all looking at any opportunities to... I don't know that we're that smart. We're not. That's not our our core expertise. I think we try to stick to our knitting and what we do well. I think ultimately we're 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 tool guys. We understand that part of the business. Sure. Um, so that's really where we try to zero in and focus on. And we've not. We're certainly open to those kind of solutions. We've just not seen any yet that really um, it's evident to us how that's going to really be successful in our business. Maybe that's maybe we're dinosaurs in some ways. But I think our view is, hey, let's keep a really good. It's still a very person-driven business. Let's keep a really good relationship with those sure. folks in the office, in the in the field, and and that'll be the most important that, part of you it. You know, look, I don't mean to that. It's that's refreshing to hear. And, and look, yeah. tech, it is. You know, I mean, <laughs> it it's it's very refreshing to hear because there's obviously technology is a big deal, and we're going to use buzz, buzzwords even on this conversation. You know, with regard to different um, words that investors like to hear, right? And I, I don't want to dismiss any of that. I really don't because there's there's true value in what, what our industry is doing. But at the same time, it's, it's refreshing to hear a CEO say, look, we're going we're gonna to do what we do well, which is take care of our customers, go to see them in person. In fact, you know, just to, if you watch this on camera, you'll check it out here. But, you know, he is wearing some very cool shoes, some very cool socks and jeans. He says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm a little casual right now. I'm, I'm off to Saudi immediately after this podcast. And, you know, number one in the world of, Corona or apocalypse, take your pick on what you'd like to describe us in currently. It's nice to hear somebody going out and seeing customers, whether it be domestic or international. So, you know, I actually think that it's very refreshing to hear that we're not going to try to outsmart what works, which is face-to-face interaction, shaking customers' hands, understanding their problems, addressing those problems, and solving those problems. I don't know if it's an effective strategy if you look how the technology guys, uh, the valuation on technology companies these days, and we've, we should all probably try to be technology companies. Well, look, but I think, no, I think, I think, I think you got to have both. I think what's, yeah. what's, I think if, if, if it's not a binary uh, discussion, I think, I think anytime you can, if, if the technology truly is there to help you make better decisions and help your clients make better decisions, it's, I think it's just the next step in this concept of continuous improvement. But I, I don't think there is any replacement for in-person interaction. I mean, there's a reason you're going to Saudi. Yeah. There's a reason Clay Williams at NOV goes to Saudi. I mean, you know, there's 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 a reason I get out and go see people. There's a reason John Daniel, who offices with us in here, gets out and goes sees people. It's powerful. It's meaningful. Um, so uh, I wouldn't beat yourself up on it. I was just curious because yeah, there, no, there are a lot of companies that are trying to say, how do we do things differently? And working with a number of operators that I do, operators are also trying to figure out what they do really well, what stuff they should they should push to a third party and, you know, provided there's a really compelling reason to do so. And I think some folks, like the brigade guys, the access guys, they've got some interesting technology they're utilizing to show additional value to their customers that's that's hard to replace. And and quite quite frankly, an area where they can they can push on to to that preferred partner if if they get that far. But uh, talk to us about uh, Josh mentioned uh, the apocalypse uh, and uh, COVID year twenty twenty. How how has uh, how has uh, this this impacted your business? I mean, uh, certainly, I, I think 
Ray Charles can see that uh, it's definitely impacted the demand and and in the market. But in terms of supply chain, have you had any supply chain disruption issues? Uh, you know, as it relates to the various parts, components, pieces of of uh, the tools that y'all put together. And that that's been pretty. Um yeah, we've had, I guess the broad, the broad answer is obvious. Obviously our, our business has, um, declined dramatically, uh, probably right now half of what it was at peak, which forces you to also do all sorts of things to ensure that the company continues to be successful. Um, in terms of like how we function, how our supply chain works, the supply chain has been, has been pretty, uh, knock on wood has been, um, uh, pretty resilient, I would say. Uh, most of what we do, uh, most of the manufacturing supply chain is domestic. We did get a very little amount of stuff from the Eastern Hemisphere. So that early on in the the virus, there was there were some issues going on in that part of the world that impacted things, but it was pretty um, pretty modest. And like I said, for most of what we do, it's U.S. sourced um, equipment and materials and things. So it's been it's been we've been able to manage it. And hats off to the folks in the field, in the shops that are both at Innovex and our suppliers, the steel manufacturers, the machine shops. I mean, those folks have continued to grind um, through this thing um, nonstop. And so we've been very blessed and fortunate that we haven't had massive disruptions from that perspective. Certainly some some impacts here and there, but for the most part, uh, we've been very fortunate on that front. You, have, you know, that's the world that we play in for the most part during our day jobs. And it is, uh, you, you mentioned team, like you have, that's one of my first questions was about your manufacturing. It is, you do have a good team throughout and, and, you know, you're kind of moving into the Rubicon. Uh, there's a lot of really great people there as well. And I'm, I'm interested to know what does that look like for you? As far as you guys are going to be, you have two, you have your brand that you've currently built. You have Rubicon that's done a great job of kind of presenting themselves and building up over the last couple of years. Um, what does that, what does the new company look like? It just, it, it's brought in completely. Will the Rubicon brand remains go away? How does how does all this look? What does this look like? Yeah, so I think it's uh, the 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 early the honest answer at this point is we still don't know all those things. Do no harm. So, Back to yeah, your point. Do no harm. Yep. We got we got to learn each other a little bit better. I do think um, it is it is important to have, operate under one brand. The the company has one name um, and one general approach to how we market ourselves and approach and and. Um, present ourselves to the customer. So going forward, we will ultimately transition to the InnoVex brand will be the name on people's, you know, shirts, business cards, buildings, et cetera. Uh, because both businesses were built partially organically, partially through acquisition, there's a number of great brands that exist in both businesses. So the, the one of the prime examples within Rubicon, for example, is the Logan Oil, uh, Logan Fishing Tools. Any fishing tool hand in the U.S. knows Bowen and they know Logan. Those mm -hmm. are kind of the two uh, preeminent brands there. So we'll certainly have the Logan brand will still be how we refer to that product line, how we refer to the tools, um, but Innovex will be the name of the company. That's how we're thinking about it today. But obviously, there's a there's a million questions to answer over time and how we do that. But to your point, absolutely, there's a lot of great um, great folks on uh, in the Rubicon organization, sure. um, and certainly through this time, if you're not really talented, then um, in the oil field in 2020, then uh, you wouldn't still be right. you know, part of that organization. So I think there's great people there, uh, and really couldn't be more excited about that opportunity to to bring those two teams together and look for growth opportunities. That's exciting. Yeah, no, it's, it, uh, we've, we've been really lucky on the show to interview a bunch of people and to talk about, you know, what makes, um, their company special, right? And, yeah. and not just their, their company, but what makes the individual special. And, um, the focus on people has been, you know, I, I'm not young, I'm not old. I'm kind of in that still early uh, development of, of where do we want to go? And don't say it, David, I'm very young. I'm very young. 
And, uh, <laughs> but you know, my, my point is I've been blown away by the leaderships of these companies view on people. It just seems like a singularly focused, um, view on we've got it. This is what we want from our people because ultimately it makes the company great. I mean, did you have somebody that brought you up in your early career that said like, this is how we do it, or this is what you should look at a quick word from our sponsors. And then we're right back to the show. Prang and associates. The global energy search leader, Prang & Associates is the world's leading executive search firm totally dedicated to the energy industry. Over our 39 years, we have assisted more than 750 management teams and boards in 75 countries and conducted nearly 3,600 engagements. For more information, please visit prang.com. Daniel Energy Partners, in-basin research you can trust. A leading provider of U.S. oil field research, known for its original boots-on-the-ground research approach, as well as its famous barbecue events. Daniel Energy Partners utilizes both its extensive network of top oil field professionals and frequent in-basin field tours to provide real-time market intelligence. Visit DanielEP.com for more information. Galtway Marketing. Answer this question. What makes your company different? You have seven seconds to catch a customer's attention. Galtway Marketing can build your brand and craft your message for maximum impact across all your marketing efforts. Visit galtwaymarketing.com slash 0360 to bring your company into the 21st century. Thank you to our sponsors. And now back to the show. Yeah, I think I think absolutely. Uh, I think that in general, one of the one of the things that I'm proud of to be around the oil field is it is it is a great group of people and it is it is a people business and I, probably all all things are I'm I'm just biased this is what I've known yeah. but I'm I'm probably very biased but I think given the nature of our business how how remote so many of our teams work in the field and the the things we ask folks to do um, I think just inherently attracts people who are um, very capable and um, really special people. So I think we're, we're all very fortunate on there. And ultimately you can't run an oil field service people without, or oil field service company without really great people. So I think that's um, uh, probably why that theme resonates with, with so many leaders in the, in the group. But yeah, I, th- I think throughout, I had, I had a number of, of mentors along the way. Um, and in fact, I would say one of my mentors is a guy that works with me now, a gentleman named Mark Redout, who runs our, um, he's COO of the business. And Mark is probably the single um, best leader of people that I, I've been around. And so I would think, I think I've, I've learned as much from him um, as I have from anybody, but there's been a lot of folks along the, uh, over the years that I've interacted with where you take the good and the bad of, I remember I had one sure. boss that I, I was like, this guy, I've learned more from this guy, both in terms of good <laughs> things and bad things. Uh, but, but very, uh, even the, the things that you're like, yeah, I wouldn't do it like that. I think even those are, are um, learning. very, yeah, great learning opportunities. Yeah. Um, I, I just threw myself off that little comment there at the end, but um, I, I want to put you on the spot a little bit if I can. And um, the you're in a you're in a difficult segment of the market, right? I mean, you're tied heavily to the rig count. Um, what does what is your crystal ball, which I'm sure is just extremely clear, no issues whatsoever? Um, what is what does it feel like? What does it look like? Where do you see? I mean, obviously, well, 2020, we can write off right sizing, you know, all the key buzzwords that go through 2020, but 21, I mean, I have to be honest, just on this side of the microphone, I feel like 21 is going to be a better year. We're already seeing different inquiries from products and customers, um, both domestic and international. What does 21 
look like to you? Oh man, I, I've already. <laughs> I, <laughs> we can whip out the Fletcher Azul and we can have well, a, we a already drank all that actually, so we screwed <laughs> uh, that up. But it is a, no, it's it's a it's a fair question. I think the, the again the honest answer is we, we don't really know. But I think I'm pretty bullish on 21, 22. Um, I think you've had just so much. Um, Demand destruction this year, which has led folks to, you know, cut back on capital spending, not only here, but internationally. This is probably the most severe international downturn we've seen maybe ever. Um, so I think uh, as I think at some point we'll get a, a vaccine to this thing, we'll get some. Uh, obviously, we had some good news this week. I think maybe some some more coming today, hopefully. So I think at some point we'll have a solution to the problem where people will return to life as normal. And I, I'm not a to our earlier conversation. I'm not a believer that, OK, now suddenly everybody's going to go. We're going to live on the internet. And I was like, ah, I think that's some things will transition that way. We've certainly had a few meetings where it's like, okay, this one makes more sense to do remotely. But I think as we talked about earlier, you, this, this business, I presume most businesses, you got to meet people. You got to be face to face. You have to be out there with your customers, with your employees. So I just think that um, over the next 12 months, it might be the latter half of 21, but I think at some point during 21, we will see a return to um, some level of nor normalcy in yeah. terms of um, oil demand. And with the, you know, implosion of capital spending um, and, and the, just the, the nature of the beast on the U.S. Uh, shale decline, I, I see a point at some some point in 21 where we do see a pretty robust recovery. Now, that said, we also have so much resource here that I, don't, I think the days of getting to $100 oil is behind us because you can just turn on too much yeah. production here in the U.S. too Quickly. rapidly. But, yeah, I, I certainly think 21, 22 um, are going to be a lot stronger than what we're seeing today. So we're, we're fairly bullish on that, but, you know. Our, yeah, our, our crystal balls. Uh, mine is historically uh, pretty fuzzy. So, where do you where do you go for information? Like, what's a place that uh, uh, you know periodical or that you read magazines or websites? Where where are you hunting information? John Daniels, one of our research friends here. I mean, are you hunting the? Yeah, place? I think yeah. There's a fair bit of like sell side research that we you know we get and, and look through, and some of the stuff that comes from Simmons, the Evercore guys. Uh, these are these are folks who trust track things well. And I think that they, similar to us, don't have a perfect crystal ball mm -hmm. either, but I think they do a really good job of kind of tracking, distilling a lot of the publicly available data around what's going on with production and inventory and activity levels that uh, we kind of pay close attention to. I, I think anybody's prognostication on the future is, is a challenge, but I think those kind of guys do a really good job um, kind of consolidating, looking at data. And then the, the public news sources, the Bloomberg in particular, is, they're quite good at, um, again, looking at the data. So those, those are some of the places that we well, look to and, to see what's happening. Forgive me, you know, like I said, when we did a little show warm up here, I, the way we view this is a person that would like to meet you, you're probably hard to get. You're busy. You have a family. You have a business. You're traveling. So someone's not going to get 20 or 30 minutes with you yeah. uh, very often. So it we view, I mean, I really do. I view the responsibility of the person sitting in that chair is, you know, Thank you for coming and talking about you and your company, but there's another you 20 years ago, right? And so like where, what should that person be paying attention to matters to me that they get to hear, you know, I, I, I read a lot. I, I, you know, mind, body, spirit. I mean, those are the kind of things that I think are most important to help our, uh, our industry grow properly because there are a lot of new people coming into the business. Uh, and that and I'd actually like your opinion on that. I mean, you've, you've been in now 22 years. Good run. This is you, that's enough to kind of get a good feel on everything. What does the business feel like today versus? I mean, maybe pick a number where you'd like to go back to um, the transition of just people in the business, the mindset of the business. How, how do you feel like it's changed for the for the better over the last period? If if it, if any, yeah, no, yeah that's a that's enough. a that's an interesting question. I have not uh, probably thought through a lot. So I, so I think probably. Um, in some ways, it's similar. Uh, I do think that the, the most obvious area where there's just been a huge 
change of mindset is around the um, HSE culture. Uh, now, when I started my career, I was doing deep water stuff and it was it, it, that was probably emergent at the time. Um, I did probably less U.S. land stuff. I think if you look at the U.S. land business today, it's transformed versus what it was 20 years ago, both in terms of scale, um, how, how folks look at HSE, how folks look at the, the culture out there in the field. I think that's probably changed most dramatically over 20 years. So don't leave that part because I want to go pick right back up. But when that is such a great thing about the podcast that, you know, anybody outside of the oil and gas would never think that health, uh, you know, HSE has become such a big focus on what we've done. And I mean, that you're a 22 year guy and you're saying that's the number one thing that you think has increased. I, yeah, I wish people would hear that more often. Yeah. I wish we'd tell that story more but, often. Well, well yeah. those, those issues that come as a result of that are, are indications of an inefficient culture, either poor training, poor management, opportunity for improvement, whatever. And, and when these things happen, it's just an indication of an area for, uh, you know, improvement. And there was a lot of focus at offshore, obviously, because you're dealing with a much smaller piece of real estate, whether it's a floater or a drill ship or a platform, and not too many places to go. So you got to make it work or you got to go swim with the sharks. And maybe if you're lucky in a lifeboat or something. But um, so that mindset, I think to your point, starting to come on shore a little bit more. But anyways, keep going. Uh, I, I was going to say the one other thing we talk, we, we focus a lot on the health and safety thing. But I think the other thing the industry gets uh, just we, we can probably get into this this topic too later on. But the um, the environmental aspect of it. So many of the guys that work in our business, guys and women who work in our business are, you know, lovers of the outdoors. Right. And I think there's been a huge push over the last 20 years as well. And probably going back further than that to really, um, you know do right by the the areas and the environments that they work in. And I think that gets totally underappreciated. I think that really the folks in, in our business probably experience the, the outdoors and appreciate it much more so than um, a lot of the what, so-called environmentalists. Yeah. I think what's funny and frustrating at the same time is that everybody just assumes like we've got all the answers to everything that we should have known better so long ago. And people don't have an appreciation for the fact that we are continuously learning and improving. And I think generally if people can do something better, they will. And, you know, I think in a lot of businesses, there's, there's the, the altruistic aspects of things that people love to do just to be able to do. But a lot of these improvements come as a result out of economic need and economic efficiency. So, and, and, and I think you can have both. So, better culture, better environment, better returns on investment, et cetera. They do go kind of hand in hand, which is ties into the, 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 the buzz initials of ESG, which is, you know, I mentioned the other day on the IDC annual meeting, it's like, this is actually an opportunity that the industry should be running to and, and being excited about for us to set the record straight and really, and really beat on our chest a little bit and talk about all the good things, acknowledge areas that we know we can improve and that we are improving, but make sure people understand that. I mean, that is the exciting thing about this podcast, Josh, because we're getting to be we're, we're able to help talk about what was done 20 years ago versus what's being done today. And, and you know, certainly there's bad actors in, in any industry sector, but I think if you think about the industry as a whole, not only have we gotten better and more efficient and um, in what we do, but we've also kept 
the cost of energy low for the global I, economy, which yeah. nobody gives us any credit for. I think they, they it's like they would welcome paying six to nine dollar a gallon gas until they uh, pay it once. Until yeah. they pay it once, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's certainly a, a recent hobby horse of, of mine as well. We started talking about more, and I think, uh, yeah, we, we our industry does not. I have I have uh, three girls at home. Well, I, have, I have four kids. The three older ones are, are girls, and I think they all view the uh, industry with a certain amount of. Um, speculation. Yeah. Um, and I think that there is a total lack of appreciation by the world, including our industry on the the merits of what we do right. and the amount of, uh, you know, human flourishing that's enabled through, you know, low cost energy. And I, I think it's, it's something we have to talk about more frequently. And that's something that uh, I hope to find more ways to do over the, you know, the coming so, period of time, because it's a, it's a massive deal. People, you know, we make lives better every day and we couldn't, but we get it's almost as if people have gotten so accustomed to it, they don't really appreciate what what low cost energy right. does to enable better human lives. The f the funny thing is is that the 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 opponents to the industry are are the ones that are benefiting from the industry yes. in their ability to do so. Yes. Twitter, yeah. iPhones, yeah. all that stuff wouldn't exist without the oil and gas industry. Yeah, the, the on demand economy of Amazon and yeah. these things all, re all 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 will not thrive without low cost energy. And so we're going to take just a second here away from the business side and, and just acknowledge that you went three girls and then decided to risk it all for that boy. <laughs> yeah, that's you, a good point. Yeah, you could have gone four straight daughters and you you had the last one's a boy, huh? Yeah, we're, we're not, it's not that we're, we're, we're uh, planners, but yes, that's certainly how it worked out. And we had the three, the three big ones are all off in college now and the, the boy is 10 years younger, but we were, yeah, we were blessed to have him come that's along. That's great. That's awesome. Uh, 10 years later, so. Yeah, it's, well, he's, awesome. he's got to appreciate having uh, three older sisters. I mean, he that is, could that could work out well for. Yeah, that just means spoiled. three kind of mini moms at yeah, some level, right? It, it, it is, it is. But he is spoiled rotten, yeah, because yeah. he has five five adults who dote on him and <laughs> you know nonstop. So no, he's he's a uh, yeah, he's very fortunate. Well, you know, I'm I'm the the daughters of you know your daughters, our kids, David's as well. Um, you know, we do want that's the whole thing is we do want to leave them better this world better than we found it. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. There's a book that we reference fairly often on this, uh, the, the moral case for fossil fuel. Yep. You've read it. Uh, yep. Wonderful. Okay. So Alex is going to come on the show. If we hadn't, if the world wasn't ending, he would have been here already. But, you know, those are the kind of things where it's easy for us in Houston, Texas to talk about, you know, the things that we want better, but you know, it, there's, there's people in, you know, all over the world that, we want to help them out right. as well, right? There, there's a woman that spends four hours a day gathering water and, and wood and that would be a lot easier if you could just click a button yeah. and your your house is warm and your your sink has water in it, right? So um, those are the things that uh, that get lost in bad press, if you will. I don't really know what the right word is, but just... Oh, I think that's. I think it gets totally underappreciated. And I think that, you know, admittedly, sure. we're biased. I'm fifth generation oil field and live in Houston, Texas, petroleum engineer. So I come to it with certain biases. Uh, but I think the the folks who really would suffer from higher cost energy are not so much us or they would have an impact, but it's a tiny proportion of of our spend. It's really those, the 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 folks in the developing economy that many people help to claim or claim to want to help as part of this uh, process sure. that are going to get hurt the most. And the folks Absolutely. that need to transition off using solid fuels and dung and wood and all these things that are terrible in all sorts of ways to you and transition those folks to cleaner energy Did and you say cleaner, lower cost energy. Fifth generation oil and gas? I'm fifth generation oil and gas. Yes. How do you, I, I want to hear this. How does this work? <laughs> well, That's substantial. Yeah. That is a, that is a, a family of oil and gas people. Yeah. No, it's been, yeah. And we're, yeah, very, very proud of that. My my great great grandfather entered the oil field way back when in Southern California, wow. and then through the years, we've we've all uh, 
fallen into that trap for better or for yeah. worse to, to <laughs> the, the oil field. Yes. And that's been, it's been a really good, been a great run. That is a good run. That's a, that's a nice family legacy there of, of just an industry benefiting from a family's service to it. Yeah. So. We, got a, we got a lot of uh, oil field talk around the Thanksgiving table. That's yeah, for sure. And to, my, to my wife's uh, <laughs> concern from time to time, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, very, very proud of oil family. Good. Good. And so what's next? I mean, you, I know the, the, the merger or excuse me, the, the acquisition is here. So yep. what, what comes next for you guys? Where, where are your, where's your attention going to go? I know you're heading off to Saudi today, but where are you going to put your attention here? Yeah. So I think there's, there's a, a ton of work that goes into um, bringing two large successful organizations together in a way that you keep what's great about both businesses and um, allow them to, to thrive going forward. Um, so there's going to be a, a ton of work that goes into that over the next three or four months. Um, we, it'll take a while to get all the governmental approvals, uh, surprisingly, given the, the nature of the transaction. But uh, so we expect sometime in March, the deal will close. So between now and then we'll do a fair bit of uh, integration planning, but it's really not until March that we hit, can hit the ground running sure. and, and doing a lot. So uh, I think after that, what excites us most about the deal is we get both um, much stronger international presence. Today, Innovex has pretty small international presence in Saudi and Oman. Um, Rubicon is much more international. Uh, they're in those places, but they're also in another dozen uh, international countries in, a, in an important way. So I think we get not only the, I think the most important thing we get out of is the benefit of the folks and the teams that know those markets and the customers and what they want. And Rubicon's providing certain products to those folks today very successfully. But I think um, if we bring what we've done really well as far as listening to the customer, what they want, where they think the market is going and creating incremental innovations, I think we can really supercharge the international business. And then on the U.S. side, uh, we've done very well. We've captured a lot of share in the markets we we compete in. Uh, but over time, there's kind of diminishing returns on how much incremental market share you can pick up after a while. So bring, we're bringing in some important new products. We're getting more exposure to the drilling business. We're getting more like the downhold, the drilling products businesses. Uh, we're getting more exposure to the fishing and intervention business. So I think we're getting new products and a team of folks who know those products really well that we can really uh, drive a lot of incremental growth in the U.S. as well. So yeah, I think the next... A year or two will be very busy trying to get that successfully integrated and building what I think is probably currently, um, or certainly the post acquisition will be the largest independent uh, manufacturer engineer or manufacturer of engineering consumable products in the business. That's so fantastic. It's, it's a that's it's a been nice awesome. I'm very blessed. Yes, you know, you I I kind of was reviewing some things just now, and when you said uh, the international business, I, I'm just curious, and I've done a little bit of business overseas, uh, more than a little bit, but. I would like to hear your perspective on doing business in Middle East versus North America. I mean, and you've got the experience over there. I didn't realize how beneficial that was about to be to this uh, transition period for the whole group. You have a lot of experience over there. What What is the difference between the two cultures and how they do business? It, it's uh, it can be it can be uh, dramatically different in some ways. Some ways very similar. Uh, I think what what's appealing to us about the international markets is it's inherently. So it takes a lot longer to establish yourself in one of these international markets. If you look at an Aramco, it can take people three, four, five years to get in and actually establish business and start generating revenue. So there's much larger barriers to entry than here. Then you mentioned you're going to see Concho. Well, you have a good product, good people. You can go into Concho and you can probably start working for them pretty quickly thereafter. Um, that I think is good for the industry in a, in a whole for a host of different ways. It probably helps the operators the most extract value out of the service companies. Uh, but in the international markets, it really there's it's a much more challenging process to actually get in and get established. So uh, that that's probably the single biggest uh, difference. 
when you look at the Middle East in particular, which is where I've, I've spent the most time, a lot of the, the the beauty of doing business over there as an American company is I think that a lot of there's a lot of legacy. I mean, Aramco is the Saudi American oil company originally, and a lot of how they operate is still in many ways very westernized. Uh, and I think there's a lot of uh, mutual respect between the the two cultures, as particularly in the oil field. So I think uh, you get a certain amount of credibility coming over there as an American product and technology company. And if you can exceed and, you, and succeed in U.S. land, they give that a lot of credence and credibility over in, in that part of the world. Uh, but it's it's a the people are great. The people are very welcoming and open to to what we what we're trying to do. Right. And I always enjoy spending time over there. But it just the 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 key difference it takes a lot longer to to get there and be successful. But once you are, you're a lot more entrenched. And it's a lot harder for your competition to come off and come what, in and knock you out. What does that look like today, 2020, doing business in Saudi than it did 10 years ago? It's changed a bit. I think they've made, they've made a big push over the last 10 years towards localization. I think mm. if you went to Aramco 10, 15 years ago, you would find that maybe half of the folks were um, – uh, non-Saudis, half of the, let's say the, the decision makers, the engineers that we deal with who, who make the calls, you'd have a lot more presence of Americans and, and folks from other places. I think today it's much more, um, much more localized and probably 80 to 90% of the engineers wow. making the calls are, are Saudi nationals. And in fact, we, part of the reason dragging me to Saudi Arabia is we've recently hired a, a manager for our business in Saudi, who's a, a Saudi national, a gentleman that actually we worked with 13, 14 years ago when I was with Saudi, with, with Baker in Saudi. And he's really uh, growing as a leader and uh, we're really excited to bring him on board. So that's, that's, that's kind of the primary thing driving me over, pulling me over there right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's been a big push for them. They're making a big push into more local manufacturing and building more, trying to make it easier to do business over there. Isn't there a, uh, I, I should know more, but I know some of it, but isn't there like a rating system or a scale they, they weight you on? Yeah, it's called ICTVA, which is in kingdom total value added, which is a, it's trying to estimate basically of the revenue that you generate in kingdom, how much do you uh, basically recycle into the their local yeah, economy okay. through the employment of, of locals, through just spending money. Locally, so yeah, they're striving to get everyone to seventy percent, which is a really challenging goal. Sure, and certainly nothing that uh, we're going to get to quickly. But I do think their expectation today is okay. You're going to be, you're going to have local leadership. You're going to have um, local local talent in your organization. Whereas fifteen years ago, that was an aspiration, but um, was not something that was the same level of Believe expectation. Believe it or not, we're we're pretty big in Saudi. So yeah, we, we, yeah, we have quite a few downloads. Awesome. It's one of our top uh, ten countries. Awesome. So they, a lot of people will hear this. So okay, yeah. Well, the oil field is is definitely global, and uh, I'm always it's always funny to hear the stories of of uh, how past relationships. I mean, that's what's taken me all over the globe, yeah. uh, and uh, it's just a big small world. No, absolutely, that's one of the beauties of this yeah. business is the opportunity yeah. to see the world. And we were loaded we, from all over. We were loaded up in Saudi, and we had nobody in Nebraska. I mean, we, Nebraska was Nebraska. our last <laughs> state in the union to join the podcast. We made a huge push about it, like making <laughs> yeah. social media is kind of making some funny jokes. Nebraska is actually coming up in the states, skyrocketed now. So they're uh, they've moved up. So Nebraska, if you're listening, thank you very much. <laughs> so apparently, you can uh, you know social media can take you anywhere you want. But that's uh, exciting. Dave, do you want to? You got any questions for? Before I you go wrap us up, no, I think I think it's been a good conversation thus far. I think one of the things we always like to ask our guests, kind of towards the end of the show, is for for anything they might want to share, any nuggets of information or 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 thoughts or guidance to to our listeners, uh, advice you you would have liked to have had yeah. several years ago, or that you might want to impart on on somebody listening. Yeah, that's that, that's a very uh, challenging question. I, I think uh, we're very challenging people. This yeah. is 
This is we, I, we I, ask the hard questions. Yeah, I think well, I'll put it this way. I think the things that I I was fortunate enough to choices I made or things that I did that helped enable success is one way. It's, it's always hard. Like, how do you give yourself advice from 20 years ago? Well, I, I don't know that. But I, I would say the things that I, I did is one, um, you know, partner with people that you share values with that you're, you're similar to. And professionally is one thing, but certainly personally as well. I've been, I've been blessed with my wife that she's been extremely supportive and we're supportive of each other. We were, I worked um, as the single worker for a long, single uh, bread, bread winner for a long time. She's recently gone back to work, and I think through that process, we've supported each other a lot. I've, I've picked her up and asked her to move to the Middle East sure. and uh, probably make 10 different moves over the years, and she's been super supportive of that. So I think that's super important is to have somebody that you, um, you're you aligned with on how you see the world and how you how you want to raise your family because if you're not going to be successful there, it's really hard to Has she enjoyed being back into the workforce? Yeah, she's, she's, she's teaching. Kids. Yeah, she's 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 te- she loves what she does. She teaches at a small inner city Catholic school, and awesome. she's really passionate about it. And that's why I say now I, say, I, I do a lot of work. <laughs> we frequently spend nights doing things to help her prepare for her class. Uh, so the, I think a couple nights this week we were up pretty late getting stuff ready for her kids. But she has she's very passionate about it. And I love to say, I'm very proud of what my, she. My mom was a do. teacher as well in okay. Catholic school, and I remember grading papers. I'm sure you've graded your fair <laughs> yeah. share of papers and gotten school projects. So. Yeah. That's that's excellent. Yeah, that's, I, I, that's nice that uh, you know number one to share that with her, but two just prepare, get her prepared for her kids. Yeah, no, that that's I think that's super important. Is to, um, so that's been very helpful. Similarly, professionally, but I think that one goes kind of goes without saying. You got to have um, that's ultimately what's made us successful as Innovex is over the years. Uh, we've myself and others that are brought in have we just know a lot of folks who are talented, and it really just helps you be successful if you know already. Hey, these are folks that are, can really help us be successful. Um, and then the other thing I would say is, hey, you you have to be willing to. I would say take the job that people don't want to do right and like in my case my the 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 break I got was not to to harp on the Saudi thing but making that taking my family to the Middle East uh you know the whenever that was now 15 years ago was super helpful um at a time when that was a really important uh developing market and I just I learned a lot in the experienced and um I think that was an awesome experience where a lot of people would shy away from you know, doing something so kind of outside your comfort zone. So I think we're all along the, the, the jobs we take, we should focus on, Hey, what do you learn from it versus just what are you going to get paid to do it? And what experience is it going to give you? How is it going to help you to meet new people and learn new things that you can ultimately be most successful with? And I think that's the thing that your first five years out of college, you're just trying to get by and, uh, or in, in the industry out of college or, or however you probably need to focus on the financial aspect of it. Absolutely. But I think the thing that is most important is what are you getting from that experience that you can really take with you over your career? That's just You, you said super early on in the podcast, you said uh, that you weren't going to get where you wanted to go at that first company. Yeah. And I'm curious, you know, that I heard that early on and I wanted to say something, but to hear you then talk about, you know, where you wanted to go now, how, I guess you're a fifth generation oil and gas guy. So, I mean, how focused, and I hate to say it like this because it sounds so easy to answer, but did you always know where you wanted to go? I mean, how how focused were you on life at 45 as you were at 25? Yeah, I, I don't uh, I don't know. Uh, the, I, I, I would say I was always fairly ambitious and knew that I wanted to make an impact and, you know, put a dent in the, the industry in one way or another. So I would say from the get-go, I had I was had some very fairly high aspirations and don't get me wrong. Every place I worked, I, I got something from there. It's just, I, I, and I learned a lot along the way. I just recognized that at some point, if, if um, I was going to have, I needed much more broad experience in order to be in a, a job like I have today. Mm-hmm. When you, when you, when you make those jumps, 
do you how do you know when it's the right time to move? How do you know that it's it's not just something that you've just you haven't really given it uh Right. You found it boring or whatever, or you found like it was beneath you or, to, or you've, you've done your stint. What is there? Was there any, did you just know when the time was right? Yeah, I, I, that's, um, I think so. I think it's just gut feel. I don't, yeah. I don't know if there's any, any precise formula to it. Cause I think about, you know, we've got a, I think close to 8,200 people that work for, uh, our company around the globe. And we've got a lot of young, really intelligent people. We've also got, the challenges I think a lot of folks have with younger people, there's a there's an expectation that that they they should have everything today, and and I'm kind of old school in that if it's not hard to do, it's not worth doing, and you know look at every every uh, you know failure or or negative as a learning opportunity, and you know you got to put in 110 percent to get to get something out of it. And I think a lot of folks don't have that appreciation, so they just want to jump. And, uh, I think so many people, they, 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 they quit too, way too soon. And, uh, I know we've, we've had that issue with some of our, our younger folks trying to get them to understand, look, it's, it's, if you do all these things, if there wasn't an opportunity for you to, you know, ascend and earn more money, et cetera, you wouldn't still be here. But you also got to show us that you're willing to put in the work and the effort to to do so, and I think it's a that's a challenge for a lot of folks. I we had we asked one of our guests one time. We said you know, kind of a similar question. You did you were you focused? Like, well, I was really focused my entire career on uh, becoming governor of Texas. And I said, oh man, okay, that's... I said that's a great aspiration. And but he's not doing that now. He's very successful in his other business. And I said, well, why did you stop pursuing that goal? He's like, well. Cell phone cameras. <laughs> He's like, as soon as cell phones came out with cameras, I realized like, that I'm not going to be a good not going to be elected president. Or governor, <laughs> yeah. so. I'm glad we didn't have that around when we were yeah, exactly. much younger. That would oh, be, exactly. be problematic. It is. Well, anyways, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to, we didn't mean to interject or cut you off because you think you were giving some good, no, any any other any other thoughts you might want to leave anybody with? No, I, I think um, I think we covered a pretty broad yeah. range of topics. I really appreciate you guys having me on and well we'd like to have you back on actually i would love to hear um you know the do no harm mentality is i we understand that we appreciate that there's a there's true value in waiting and seeing but you know improvements and changes are going to happen and that's great and but i would love you to come back on and you know pick a period of time here that works for you to come back and say here's what's developed over the last couple of you know 12 months or whatever that number is yeah i think the audience would find that because I think they'd find that very interesting to know how did we implement this change. So uh, if, if we didn't scare you too much, we'd like to invite you back right, on. I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, I think that'd be great. And, and after we get a little further down the road, yeah, to yeah, share yeah, some yeah, of the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of these things. So that's Well, enjoy your flight to Saudi Arabia. Thank Are you, you a golf fan? Not particularly. Well, then we're going to block you out of this question then. <laughs> David, who's going to win this week at the Masters? You know, I've not paid close enough attention. Oh, I know this is going to break episode. your heart. <laughs> this is a sad episode. I'm going for Fowler. I think I think the, a lot of people want Rom to win, so I, I want Ricky to win one. So that's who I'm rooting for. Just neither one of you guys. You're looking at me like you could care less, which is great. I, again, I told you before we started. I'm supposed to play golf with you on Monday. I know. Are you ready? <laughs> and I'm not. You know, I'm not a golfer. No, but we we're it's free beer. Yeah, we've got a great foursome. Aaron Marquez is one of our guys. Yeah, I'm sure he'll bring some Fletcher. And we're playing with Leslie. Leslie, she's not a good golfer either, so she's. Well, she'll fun. make us look good, though. Yeah, we're gonna be great. We're gonna we're gonna have a great. T- I've got a nice speaker that I'm gonna bring out there. 
will most likely get asked to leave around the, the turn. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, I got to I got to do work. Yeah. I can't I can't sit on a golf course four hours. Well, um, Mr. Anderson, thank you so much for your time. So we'll, we'll give a couple plugs here. Where should people go for information? I know you just put out a press release, but uh, your website. Yeah, so innovex-inc.com is our website. Pretty relatively easy to find, as well as I would encourage folks to go look at Rubicon as well, Rubicon Oilfield International, and okay. see the products and services they have. So, um, But that's our... So innovex-inc.com. Yeah. Yeah. By, by the way, right. did you did you pick up on how hip he is? He Would, didn't say like WWW like I would day. He just <laughs> he just goes Innovex. You've, you've heard our... I don't know how to... If it's HTTP, is it WWW or what? I don't well, even know what so it is. if you go anymore, HTTP... So. That's really old school. Yeah, you're yeah. like... Way too dirty. Yeah, you're a developer. Yeah. We, we just, we wouldn't even have you on this podcast. <laughs> no, the, the joke is, is when, so Jonathan is our, our producer back there. Jonathan's 26. And we'd get on this and we'd, we'd say, David, be like, well, it's www.oilfield360. And we get off and Jonathan, hey guys, he said, you really sound old when you say yeah. www. So, <laughs> so we try not to ever say that anymore. My, my biggest, <laughs> uh, I don't, you know. I like to think I'm 25. I'm not, but uh, I don't say WWW anymore. So, but on that note, um, thank you so much for your time. We root, we're rooting you on. We'll come back and uh, give us an update. Uh, David, anything from you to before I go down here? Shut us down here. No, I, I, Adam, appreciate you coming on. I know we were jockeying with schedules, but uh, I think timing worked out well. And uh, wish uh, wish you safe travels. How long was the, the flight? I've done that flight. It was it. Are you are you, are you getting to go direct, or you got to bounce all over I'm, the I'm place? I'm going through Europe, so it's like I don't know, twenty something hours by the time you get there. That's yeah, a long so, one. It's a long one. Well, good luck to you. Travel safe, and uh, uh, as usual, if there's any um, complaints, send those to David at oilfield360.com. <laughs> if there's any. This is the best episode you've ever heard. Send that to Josh at oilfield360.com. <laughs> if, if any of you would like to know where to get uh, Josh's colorful shoelaces and or colorful socks <laughs> yeah, like at, Adam's wearing. Adam's killing I mean, it today. This is a almost solid a, look. You almost coordinated or something. I, believe I noticed how, how cool he looked. I'm, I mean, the, the cameras aren't pointing at y'all's feet, but maybe we should start doing that. No, no that's good. No, yeah. No, we're fine. <laughs> we're good. Chest up. We're all set. So that's going to wrap us up from the uh, Fletch Azul podcast studio in Houston, Texas. Thank you to our guest, David. Thank you for your time as well. Jonathan, thank you for everything you're doing back there. Um, any questions, look us up at www. Damn it, I did it. Yeah. Oh, man. I did it. Oh, man. Damn, I got to. Just go to oilfield360.com. Thank you. Yeah. Hip David. Thank yeah. you. And uh, look at all our social media channels on the interweb. And yeah. we can go from there. Uh, again, thank you Good. guys. Thank you, audience. We are exploding. And I just want to just tell the audience, thank you guys for listening. One of the coolest things is the amount of people that listen to the last to 98% of the episode is just unbelievable. So we know there's a lot of you that are actually listening to this, and we sincerely appreciate you guys. Uh, good luck to everybody. Thank awesome. you. Thank you. Yes, David, sir. Josh, thank you. appreciate it. Thank you, yeah. sir. Thank you. This episode of the Oil Field 360 podcast was brought to you by the following companies EIV Capital a growth equity-focused private equity firm, which has been providing capital to the North American energy industry since 2009. The team has extensive experience across the entire energy value chain. We invite you to visit eivcapital.com and learn how we partner with entrepreneurs to build businesses. Merit Advisors, crafting holistic tax solutions to improve your cash flow and add profit back to your bottom line. When it comes to state and local taxes, Merit is the expert in the oil and gas industry. Visit MeritAdvisor.com. 
World Oil. For more than 103 years, World Oil has provided global decision makers with coverage of the latest market intelligence and technological advances relating to the upstream oil and gas industry. To subscribe and learn more about these essential resources, please visit worldoil.com slash subscribe. Thank you to our sponsors, Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, SimmonsPSC.com, Lockton Global Energy and Marine, Lockton.com, Tomahawk Safety, TomahawkSafety.com, Prang & Associates, Prang.com, Daniel Energy Partners, DanielEP.com, EIV Capital, EIVCapital.com, Galtway Marketing, GaltwayMarketing.com, Range Valuation Services, RangeValuationServices.com, Merit Advisors, MeritAdvisor.com, World Oil, WorldOil.com, Fletcher Azul Tequila, FletcherAzulTequila.com. For more information on today's guest and to learn more about our sponsors, please follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, or at OilField360.com. Piper Sandler Companies NYSE PIPR is a leading investment bank and institutional securities firm driven to help clients realize the power of partnership. Securities brokerage and investment banking services are offered in the U.S. through Piper Sandler & Company, member SIPC and FINRA, in Europe through Piper Sandler Limited, authorized and regulated by the Securities and Futures Commission. Asset management products and services are offered through four separate investment advisory affiliates, U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC registered Piper Sandler Investment Management LLC, PJC Capital Partners LLC, and Piper Sandler and & Company, and Guernsey-based Parallel General Partners Limited, authorized and regulated by the Guernsey Financial Services Commission. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, are the energy specialists of Piper Sandler.